Let's stand. Thank you, Lord, that you're talking, you're speaking, you're molding, you're shifting, you're shaking, encouraging us, you're meeting with us. There's a whole lot you're doing that we don't even know, and we say more, Lord. We trust that these couple of days together will be so significant in our own lives that it will change everything we see and how we see things going forward. We ask honestly, Jesus, have your way. We don't want to hear what a man has to say. We don't want to hear about some thought process. We don't want to just read words and scriptures. We want to hear from our God, the Father, who's speaking clearly over his people. So I pray this morning for the next hour that you can do what only you'll do, Lord. Help us to be able to receive. Help us to be able to adjust. Help our hearts to be open. We open our hearts to you. Spirit of wisdom and revelation. That we may know you better. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to receive everything you want us to receive and that which is not from you help it not take root in our hearts before we go speak these things out there may we adjust in our hearts here help us to see what needs to be adjusted rather than we know this are we living this are we doing these are we pivoting have we pivoted Jesus, be glorified. Holy Spirit, take these truths and make them ours. Have your way for this next moment and the rest of the time, but this next hour we commit to you. Let us not be distracted or focused on who we're meeting with next for lunch and where we're having lunch. And Lord, just let us be so attuned to you, Holy Spirit. Do in us what only you can do, we pray, for the glory of King Jesus. Again, we gather in that name this morning. It's not a name of a church, name of a team. The name that's above every other name. That's what gives us courage this morning, confidence in Christ. That name is destiny and future and life, freedom and Vision and all comes, authority comes in that name. And so would you come and rule and reign, King Jesus? In us, over us, and through us we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Let's grab our seats. Our left. And so hopefully you can uh, handle that, please. I appreciate just your uh, wonderful response, your openness, and just the privilege of sharing with you this week has been a real joy for me, so thank you. What I'm going to do is just is gonna, I'm going to hit kind of a bit of a, just throw things out there for the next little while and uh, just talk about some of these pivots. I'm trying to get there. I've been trying to get there since yesterday morning. Now I'm just going to go there. 
It's probably the best thing to go. And you're going to be so dis- bitterly disappointed because it's not that good. To be honest, as I looked, I'm not telling you, this is probably the worst thing a preacher could say. When I looked at this list, I was like, this is it. But um, I want to be faithful to God and with what God's called me to say and do. And I want to be faithful to you. And in saying that, that's why I want to just give you some of these truths again and say, friends, there is a pivot that's had to take place. Pivoting and that whole prophetic word about shifting and pivoting and But I want to just give you some of the pivots that I think, and again, none of these would be new. In actual fact, they are so obvious, I kind of feel like we would just look at it and go, yeah, we know this. And again, the question is not, do we know this? Have we pivoted? Have we pivoted from this to this? Not, do we know this? Not, is this in your heart? Have you pivoted? Have we pivoted? said yesterday that the church, through this crazy time, there's no going back. Can't be nostalgic for an era that no longer exists. God's not where He was. God wants us to take us to where He wants us to be. Maybe some of what was is going to come into what we're doing today, but we're not going back. There's no going back. And the church in this season, I believe, has grown and changed in, in incredible ways unexplainable ways and no going back ways. And so shifting and pivoting, and I feel like God has done this globally, and, and I, as I said yesterday, I realize it's the American thing in me that I've been looking at more and more, but if it's not here, it's coming here, so let's be aware of it. Have we pivoted? And so some of these shifts and pivots through the season, I believe God has called us to, Number one, through this crazy season, we, the church, have been forced to pivot again from Jesus having a place to Jesus having first place. Oh, here we go again. Yes, we go again. I think one of the most challenging scriptures in the Bible for me that I've brought again, and I made a commitment to Jesus Recently, that every time I have the privilege of sharing the Word of God, whether it's sitting across a table with someone or whether it's preaching on any subject anywhere, I want to make sure I reference this text because it's so essential. And it's the Colossians chapter 1 text. And I know we can know it so many times, but actually it's an amazing picture of who Jesus is and what He's done. And it says that we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we've been brought into the kingdom. Transferred from darkness into the kingdom. The son in whom which we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And then it goes on and it says this. Ultimately, it talks about Jesus, who he is. But it says this, that in all things, he will have supremacy, preeminence, first place. That Jesus will have first place in everything. Not a place, not some place. First place. We always said this, that a body without a head is a corpse. But we have our head back in place. Praise God. Now we can function in the life and the, the stuff that He's called us. But it's so quickly easy to, to just go back to some of these things and go back. And I, I know I've shared this yesterday, but anything that is next to Jesus will take the place of Jesus. Any kingdom cause, if it's next to Jesus, Every time it takes the place of Jesus. And so we've got to contend as leaders and pastors in our own lives, but also in the local churches we're leading, to be a battleship. 
We heard some of the stories this morning, and the revelation of Jesus will get us to live to a place where we are willing to be beheaded if it be. Not because of a mission, because of Jesus. Our view of Jesus, correct view of Him, gives us a correct view of everything else. That's why we've got to keep coming back to the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our culture, the church, upbringing, Sunday school, or whatever else it is that you and I have lived with. So if God has moved us, I believe, shifted the focus to Jesus as the center of it all. And COVID-19 has exposed many things, and one thing it exposes the foundation of the church globally. I think many churches have been built on ministries and giftings and callings and all these things, but not on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And until the shaking takes place, we don't know what our foundation is, but it's been exposed. And all I want to say is this, we've pivoted not to Jesus having a place, but having first place in our lives, in the church, and in our ministries. We've got to contend for that revelation, the foundation. So what have you done with that pivot? Have you pivoted from Jesus? And I know we've just had Easter. And that's a good time to talk about Jesus and to talk about the death and the resurrection and resurrection Sunday. That's not a good time to talk about Jesus. Every single day is the day we talk about Jesus. That, what he achieved, what he fulfilled, what he did on the cross is an everyday thing, not a once a year thing. And somehow the church kind of puts Jesus in place for Easter and then as Easter's over we get busy again with ministry and stuff again and causes that take the place of Christ and then suddenly it's Christmas and we think oh remember Jesus he came oh yeah let's get back to stay in the place of Jesus I think I might have said this yesterday so forgive me if I did but but when you study history church history foundation uh, founding generations it's an incredible thing that founding generations Their revelation of Jesus determined them to do some great things for Jesus. But it would seem that when they transition to the next generation, the founding generation passes on, and the next generation have not got their own revelation of Jesus. That they end up having a relationship with the founding generation, but not their own revelation of Jesus, the founder of it all. And that's when I think those movements are finished. They've lost their life. They've lost everything. And we can so easily, friends, fall into that place. And we've got to contend for our revelation of Jesus. And we know in Scripture how many times that people have lost their way because of that. Even the church Paul planted in this revelation of Jesus, years later, 30, 40, 50 years later, Jesus is saying to the Ephesus church, you forgot about me. I'm just telling you, if it can happen to that church, it can very easily happen to what we do. And we are in those 30, 40, 50 years as a team and your churches and so on. And so contend for the head. Pivot from Jesus having a place to Jesus having first place. The, the challenge, the, 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 uh, the uh, conflict through the season, the cause-driven church, the kingdom causes have divided the kingdom because they haven't come under Jesus because they've taken the place of Jesus. And that thing you and I give value to only has value because it's under Christ. It is not to take the place of Christ. Again, such an obvious statement. But I'm telling you, friend, it's the profound truth of the life-giving flow that comes from any ministry in any church. What the life of God, the revelation of Jesus. I said to the team, I think it's the team. If I said yes, I'm sorry. I'm so confused where I've been. The last four or five days, I've just preached, so forgive me. 
And when we went through some shaking as a team, and we've done that, and we continue to be shaken, as everything that can be shaken will be shaken. My dad's job in, before transition, which was 18 years ago, amazing, and I'm still alive, and I'm happy, and I love Jesus, just so you know. But I remember that my dad was very, in those days, having to talk a lot about team because he was setting up the team for transition. And so most of our team meetings were around team and around team and about team. And, and unfortunately, if I can just state, looking back, I think all of us picked up the message of team and began to preach team at the expense of the king. It's almost like team was the goal, like be on this team to be, and it wasn't the intention. It's just that we carried a message rather than, go, and so we went, this team got shaken. Transition is one thing. It's, not, it's awesome to have transition until transition begins to transition. Right? Nobody likes change except a wet baby, apparently, and change comes with transition, right? And so we had a bit of a shaking. I'm telling you, friends, I had some shaking and question, and people questioning, good people. I'm not, none of those, I'm not even talking. But I remember going back to God. I remember going, I don't want this, I don't want this. Why didn't you give it to those who do want it? Look at those who want it and what they say. Give it to them. And in that moment, in that place, in my time with the Lord, he brought me back to the revelation of Jesus. I didn't get saved again. I found Jesus again. And the message and the need and what God had put on our heart, it was like we were able to find what matters and realize that all that other stuff fits around that revelation. I remember God saying to me, like, I didn't speak audibly, but he challenged me and say this, if I can trust you with the revelation of my son, I can trust you with the nations of the world. If you're faithful with the revelation of my son, I can entrust you with nations, with cities, with regions, and with churches, and with Thousands of ships on the sea. Not because you're a good guy, not because you're cold, not because you've got anointing, because you're faithful with the revelation of my son. And that is not to me, that is to us. If you believe there's more, what are you doing with the revelation of Jesus? If you believe God's got more for you, can He trust you, not just with what you've got, with the revelation of Jesus Christ? God favors a people who favor His Son. You can't earn favor, but He absolutely favors people who favor His Son. Main thing is to keep the main one the main thing. Not the main thing to keep the main thing the main thing. Because that thing will always take the place of the main one. So again, the main thing is to keep the main one the main thing. Head back in place. Life of God flowing again. He gives value to everything we value. In Him we live and move, Acts 17, 28. In Him we have redemption, Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have an inheritance, Ephesians 1, 11. In Him we were sealed, Ephesians 1, 13. In Him you are built together, Ephesians 2, 22. In Him we have boldness, Ephesians 3, 12, and so on and so on. In other words, we are nothing without Him. Second pivot. Again, have you pivoted? Have you pivoted? Second pivot, from our plans to God's purpose. Again, I know we said this and we said, but I want to highlight that this morning and say this. Have you pivoted from our plans back to God's purpose? I spent yesterday talking around that. 
Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. The Word of God, as I said yesterday, I believe, reveals the purposes of God. Coming back to God's Word means the purposes of God. Psalm 33, 10 says, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purpose of His heart through all generations. God doesn't change His purposes through any generation. Same purposes through all generations. God's not committed to our dream. God is committed to His purpose. And He's revealed us to us, I think, through this season. That is His purpose that matters more than anything. Got to stick to His plan, friends, if we're going to walk in God's purpose. I want to suggest again, the question we always ask is, what's God's will for my life? Wrong question. You'll find a will for your life, probably your will for your life. What is God's will for The question should be, what is God's will? How do I fit into the will of God? Can I say the same for the church you're leading? Not what is God's purpose or will for our church. What is God's purpose? What is God's will? How do we fit into what God's doing? NCMI, this great team that I'm privileged to lead. Not as what is God's purpose for NCMI. What is God's purpose? What is God's will and how do we fit into what God's doing? then we will stay in the plans and the purposes of God. Keep saying this, the only one who can take you out of God's will is you. No one can. The devil can't take us out of the will of God. Only we can take ourselves out of the will of God. I can also just say this, don't let the details destroy the call God has called you to. Man, if anything's been challenged, it's that. The details have not lined up with the dream God gave us. And I've watched people in that moment (laughs) begin to change the dream and shrink the dream or diminish the dream or change the dream because the details were not given to us. God hasn't given us all the details. Right through Scripture, it's like the dream that keeps us moving and God will lay out the details. But many of us, because the details have not been given, we lose the dream and we shrink to something else. It's probably an easy thing, certainly through the crazy season we have become gone through. I know that I've said this to you guys When we went through some of the challenges, I was invited to preach into this conference in America and we were going through, and I was like, I don't know. And everywhere I went, people were like, what are we going to do? How are we going to reach the world? And how are we going to do this? Everyone's just like, how, how, how? And I'm the leader. I'm supposed to know everything. And I remember standing there and I'm about to preach. I'm invited to this conference to preach and I have no idea how anything. And before the meeting started, some little lady, little young lady stood up and she began practicing on the guitar, just kind of warming up. She wasn't anything part of the worship team. I don't know. I was just standing there, and I'm like, now I'm this guest speaker. going to And I heard her begin to sing, and in her song, practice, she began to sing, Do not, don't let the dream, don't let the details destroy the dream. And I was like, what? And I looked around. There was some girl just, I'm telling you, friends, it gave me fresh courage. It's what I had realized, that the details were destroying the God-given dream. I don't know how. But God. But God. Don't ask for permission. Ask for direction. I heard someone say this, that there are too many who are seeking a seat at the table that Jesus would flip over. 
We want to get involved in a cause and have a seat at a table that if Jesus was on this planet, he would turn over that table because it's not from him. Be careful what you're giving your life to and getting involved in and getting invested in, even as local churches. Because there's a lot of causes out there that the devil wants us involved in or people want us involved in. And I'm asking under God, are you doing what God's called you to do? Number three, we've talked about this from what we can do to a greater dependence of what only he can do. Friends, I wanted to tell you the church globally is tired of filling calendars and doing things and having meetings that we can do without God. Endlessly filling calendars of meetings and gatherings that we can get to do where we don't need God to do it with us. And so in a sense, with fear and trepidation, but in faith, we begin to process going forward. What can we do only if God's in it? A greater dependence on the Holy Spirit. I mean, we've done ministry for some many years, 40 something years, I'm sure some of you even more. I mean, let's be honest, we know how to minister, we know how to do stuff. But God wants to pivot, and I'm asking you, have you pivoted, not from what we can do, what He can do? A greater relying on the Holy Spirit. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Christian Post, September 2021. I did say I was going to quote this, so let me read it correctly. Christian Post, all right, which is a, a uh, media kind of uh, what, what is it? Like a post. How what? A poll. I don't know. It was in September 2021. The title of that post said, Most adult U.S. Christians don't believe the Holy Spirit is real. Now, I know this is America, but I'm talking to us here. I believe that possibly the people that you are leading that believe not in the Holy Spirit, or if he it does exist, he's hidden somewhere. And we've got to remedy this if we're going to get back to only doing what God's called us to do with totally relying on God. A new study from Arizona Christian University shows of an estimated 176 million American adults who identify as a Christian, just 6% or 15 million of 176 million actually hold a biblical worldview. Conducted in February of last year, the survey included nationally representation sample of 2,000 adults. And the study shows that while a majority of American self-identified Christians believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and the creator of the universe, more than half reject a number of biblical teachings and principles, including the existence of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that it's a dangerous church to be a part of if the Holy Spirit does not even exist? More flesh, good flesh, still flesh, wondering why we're getting our job done without actually doing the job He's called us to do. And so we, in a sense, have been forced by God's graciousness and gracious hand to shift and pivot, not what can we do, but God, what is it you can and only you can in and through us? 
Someone said, as I think I quoted yesterday, that we need God. Your skill set is not enough to fulfill the will of God. We need God to help us serve God. God is not a blessing from God. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a blessing from God. He is God. And when I think of the fruit and results of effective ministry, that's what we talk about, effective ministry, right? I would include things like revelation. How many believe that's effectiveness when people catch revelation? Well, you know what? Who the great revealer is? The Holy Spirit. It's not us standing up here and shouting and telling people, read your Bible. The Spirit brings revelation. You want your people to catch the revelation of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who will bring that. Not our great teachers and great preachers and great theologians and great books. And The Spirit is the best revealer of all. We need the rhema word, the logos revealed word of God and the rhema, the spoken word. And together, that's the Holy Spirit quickening the logos and transferring it into our hearts, moving from here to here. The Holy Spirit does that. Authenticity, remember that? We need authenticity, the real church. Will the real church please stand up? Well, the only one who brings true authenticity is the Holy Spirit. I keep saying, I don't believe the, the devil is opposing the church. I think he's joined the church. The reason being, he does far more through uh, he does far more through, uh, what's the word? Uh, through imitation than outright opposition. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to reveal what is authentic and real. Clarity. How many of you want clarity? How many of you know the church needs clarity like never before? Guess who brings that? Not your great preaching and your great vision, the Holy Spirit. Liberty. Freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, not where there's great preaching, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Activation. There's no greater activator than the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need to be activated. He is the activator. Yeah, I was in Chicago a little while ago and I was ministering there and we we're having like a training time. And there was a little a young guy, young guy who's standing there and he came up to me and he said, hey, I've got to, I want to sing in, in tongues. Or I've got this tongue thing. And I'm like, dude, what are you saying? I don't know what you're saying. Do you want to sing? Do you want to? So he said, oh, don't worry, I won't do it. And I said, no, no, just stand here. And so we're like having this meeting and I'm like, geez, I, you know, there's a lot of new people there and a lot of looking in. I'm like, is this going to be good or bad? Or, you know, whenever I hear tongue, I've got to be, have you got interpretation to your tongue? Sorry, that's just me. I know you don't do that. But so anyway, while we singing, I was like, hey, dude, just get up here. He goes, no, 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 I don't want to. I said, no, no, just come. So he gets up. And honestly, it was great. But I mean, it was awkward. And he stood up and he's like, I just feel like we should all sing in tongues. So we did. That was great. Something happened. It was a good moment. But anyway, in that moment, I thought, well, let me just explain to people what we've just done. Because I could see some people were, what are we doing? So I said, look, I realize that some of you maybe have never experienced this, and this might be weird, but biblically, and I said, there's a backing for this, and I explained, and I also said, you know, that if you speak in tongues as a gift, then there needs to be an interpretation. But if you just speak in tongues as part of your makeup of your salvation, there's no need for it, because it's for your upbuilding. It's not for edifying and building up someone else. There is a difference between gift of tongues and speaking in tongues. I hope you know that. Every believer should speak in tongues, period. 
You're not going to heaven because you speak in tongues. You're going to heaven because you believe in Jesus Christ. Tongues is not the sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I know people who speak in tongues who I don't even know if they are saved. I'm just trying to tell you it's not the end all and be all. But I do want to tell you this, that I'm convinced that every believer has the privilege, not of the gift of tongues, but to speak in tongues. And in ministry, we best be speaking in tongues, because how else are you edifying and building yourself up? Good luck with that. More flesh, more prayer, more help me, Lord, more me, more word. No, no, spirit, giving birth to spirit. We have this heavenly language. We all get to heaven. It's part of your salvation package. I always say this, and people get offended. These shoes, I never bought them from Nike and said, hey, by the way, I like the shoes, but I'm not sure about the tongue thing. So cut the tongues out, then I will buy those shoes. These shoes fit properly because of the tongues. Try to take the tongues out and walk around in your shoes. You're going to slip around. And I'm not trying to lower the Holy Spirit to tongues. I'm trying to say it comes with the very privilege of salvation. You get tongues. You get tongues. And who the heck does not want that? I don't know how people minister without building themselves and edify themselves. I hope you're still my friend. Anyway, so I got up and I explained a bit of that and then we moved on. We had our preaching and all that. So at the break, I was having a coffee and a, a, a lady came up. She was wearing a mask and she was from uh, South Korea. And she said, excuse me. And, and she said, I, can I speak to you? I was like, yeah. She said, I've never heard that I have the, I have the right as a believer to be able, like through broken language to speak in tongues. I said, what do you mean? She goes, no, no, I, I've never heard that. I've only heard about the gift of tongues, and, and I don't know if I have that, but you said, I can speak in tongues as a believer. I'm a believer. Would you please lay hands on me? Sure. So we, we lay hands on her. She begins to wail through her mask. I mean, I must take the mask. Woo! It's just she got set free for hours. And so the lady, the, the pastor's wife came to me, and she's like, that lady's been in bondage. She said, God set her free. Now, now why I'm using that story is because the activator activated a 13-year-old boy to come tell me I want to do this thing. I'm like, dude, I have no idea what you say. I would not even mention tongues in that meeting. That lady would have gone home never knowing she gets the privilege of speaking in tongues. Who did that? The great activator. No tricks. No coming up with the next thing. In a moment when he activates, is a reason people can get set free. It's not tricks, not strategy, spirit. More of him, less of us. Activation, multiplication. Who does that? The Holy Spirit. Collaboration. So talk about collaboration today. The local, local church has never been more local. Everyone's learning from everyone. No experts anymore. Praise God. So we're collaborating together. And what have you learned? But there's no greater collaborator than the one called the Holy Spirit who teaches us these things, friends. Administration, the Holy Spirit, is the greatest administrator. Transformation. We all want transformation. Who transforms us? The Holy Spirit. All of these, I believe, are the work of the Holy Spirit. They cannot truly happen without Him. Effective ministry requires leaning into Him more, leaning more, allowing Him to minister in and through us more. Now, Jesus came to us. Jesus walks with us. But Jesus wants to minister through us. And He does that by the Holy Spirit. 
And I think we've got to continue to return the dependence and yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. Spirit filled, Spirit moved. Spirit moved means keeping in step with the Spirit. Spirit sent. Scripture shows us it was the Spirit separated unto me Barnabas and Saul for the thing I've called them to do. The apostolic calling and the commissioning that came for Paul, who Saul became Paul, was done by the Holy Spirit, initiated by the Holy Spirit. Not some apostles got together and said, what's the strategy? The Holy Spirit said, separate these two, what I've called them. Spirit-led. John Calvin said, there is no worse screen to block out the Spirit than the confidence in our own intelligence. Your calling is not within your skill set. It takes God to serve God. Please know that. You know, the church today, as someone said, is so subnormal that if it ever got back to the New Testament normal, it would seem to be abnormal. Signs of a spiritual church. We talked yesterday, the presence of God, His presence, not presence, His presence. That's a sign of a spiritual church, His presence. I said yesterday, what would the church look like if it was built to attract God, not just man? And what I mean by that is I know we call to reach people, but I think we reach people by putting things out that attract people. That doesn't necessarily mean God's in all that stuff. When it comes to worship, someone said it's not the art of worship, musicians and worship leaders, please hear me this morning again. It's not the art of worship that attracts God. It's the heart of worship. It's not how awesome are we in our style. And, and use your gift properly, obviously. But I'm telling you, God's not looking at that. He's looking at the hearts. We've got to set people up again and, and not have these atmospheres that take the place of Him. And then when the crunch comes, they're gone. Because they were connected to a spirit, not his presence. Another one is obviously part of a spiritual church is not just his presence, but can I say also obviously his power. His power. I know people say to me, I want his power, but I want his presence. How can you want his power without his presence? I mean, I know you can't separate, but you can separate. Because some of us are like, how did Jesus say, there'll be some of you who've done these things in my name? I mean, it, it, that's power. You did things in my name. But I'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know. That kind of says you can do stuff in power without actually knowing Jesus. I don't know. It blows my mind, but I don't want to... Do stuff in his name at the expense of actually knowing him. Him first in everything. His presence is what distinguishes us. So I want to say a spiritual church has his presence, but it also has his power. You know, the early church, they lacked big budgets. They didn't have the money. I know guys today, and I feel like that at times. If we only had more money, we could do what the early church was doing. Makes sense, but didn't happen. Silver and gold we haven't got. Either lied or they didn't have it. I'm not saying we don't need money, but we think money's going to help us do the job that only the Holy Spirit can do.
They didn't have big budget. I've heard people say, gee, if only I lived in Bible days, they had the approval of their government. Look at what we've been locked up and we got people telling us we're not allowed to do this and we're gonna, we don't have to take a vaccine and we have to do this. If only we lived in Bible days. And I said, have you dare read the Bible? They had no backing from any government in, in the, what they were doing. In actual fact, they would get locked up for doing what we're doing right now. I would be stoned and imprisoned for sharing with you what I'm sharing now. Those were the Bible days. You want those days? Good luck to you. I want these days. <laughs> Funny we had the approval the early church had of government. They had not the approval of their government. If only we had the people, of the, the, the scholars they had in their church, the, the wise and schooled people with all the degrees and pedigrees and all the things that we talk about. They did not. They were unschooled, ordinary men. So all the things we only, if only, the one thing they have that we have today is the same power, the same Holy Spirit. We have Him here, right here right now. He's never left. And I know that there's some say we need another Pentecost, and I just think theologically you're wrong. I know what you're saying, but we don't need another Pentecost, because Pentecost happened. Put your hand up if you believe it happened. Or put your hand up if you don't believe it happened. <laughs> How many know Pentecost happened? Acts 1, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, day of Pentecost comes, and He comes. The Holy Spirit comes, and the church, and there's identifying marks through Scripture of what a spiritful church looks like, because He came. But somehow we got this thinking that God took Him away from us, and now we need Him to come back again. The arrogance of that thinking. He's still here. He's never left. And that same Holy Spirit that the early church had then is the same Holy Spirit we have in this room right now. The difference is they knew it and they acknowledged it and they needed that power. We have got clever at doing church without Him. And I'm challenged by that too. But we need to yield and acknowledge that the same Holy Spirit then is the same Holy Spirit here. And He's not an optional extra for deluxe Christianity or for insane loopy people. He is part of the Godhead and a necessary ingredient to any fruitful and effective ministry if you want your ministry to sustain and last till Jesus comes back. The head power. Now, one of the worst things we can do with power is pretend we haven't got it. There's more biblical backing for strange fire than no fire. And I know there's some weird stuff going on in the name of, and I get that. And I'm not saying let's be weird. But biblically, you can find more backing for strange fire. There's no New Testament backing for no fire. But we seem more comfortable with no fire because we're scared of strange fire. No fire is not in the Bible. No biblical backing. We don't need more flesh. We need more spirit. I think too many churches today do not preach the word with authority and power that Jesus promised to those who follow him. And this is a tragedy as such powerless churches end up relying on human wisdom to see results. The danger with that is the fruit of a half-baked gospel which produces half-baked believers who fall away at the first sign of any trouble. And have we not seen that in this season?
bring back his power. Power, motivational power, moving into things, power, transforming power, transforming our regions and city. It's the Holy Spirit, friends. Not great preachers only, Holy Spirit. Thirdly, His purity. I don't hear too many people preaching on the purity of the spiritual church. Power, signs, wonders, miracle, but my character is terrible. Can't find that. Paul challenged the Corinthian church. You've seen manifestations. You, you were like a baby with shotguns. You had signs and wonders and things happening, but your character, it's not about one or the other. You cannot find the Holy Spirit operating properly without our characters being renewed to become more like Jesus Christ. So some of us are about, hey, give us the signs and wonders, but character, to heck with that. The Holy Spirit brings His purity to us. When we're spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit cannot save the world with a worldly church. So there's adjusting that needs to happen. Charismata without character is not the work of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit works on both. It's a major emphasis in character transformation. The work of the Spirit is to transform and empower us. Not just to empower us. Transform us. I, I wanted to say purity, I think, is sadly missing ingredient in the church. Sin is evident everywhere. Maybe it's because we forgot with the Holy Spirit comes purity. Fire. He represents fire. What does fire do? Cleanse. You know, you know let, let's just be honest with each other this morning. Because you're an elder doesn't mean you can't, don't struggle with sin. And if you think you do, you're in trouble. I, I think if you think you don't, you're in trouble. And I'm just, let's just call it now. People are not here, let's be honest. We all struggle with stuff. We've got to deal with it, friends. But he has not, not overcoming flesh with flesh. We've got people in our churches feeling really bad because they're struggling in sin. And we keep telling them, overcome it. Don't look at that thing. Don't do that. And there's part of the equation. But can you imagine if flesh can overcome flesh, then why did Jesus ever have to come? There is the role the Holy Spirit plays in helping us overcome where he brings purity to situations that only he can bring. And so if he's not even acknowledged as a reality we don't even believe exists, wonder why people are struggling in sin because flesh, good flesh is still flesh and you'll never overcome flesh with flesh. Some of us perhaps, if we need to hear this this morning, today, is we need the Holy Spirit's fire to come and bring cleansing to our lives. And he has the absolute delight, loves and he delights to do that. We've got generations, younger generation, facing a whole lot of stuff we've never had to face. And they have to turn their phones on and all the stuff that comes up, we have the same thing. But in my day, if I, I'm just being honest, if I wanted to look at something dirty, forgive me, can I be honest, I'd have to go, to a shop and stand, and there was a lady standing there, and I want to buy the magazine that's behind there, and I'm not going to buy that because she's standing there, so I'm not going to go look at that. Sorry, I'm being so rude. That was my day growing up. I had to go into a shop, CNA or whatever it was, and like, oh dear, I'm not going to do that. Does that even exist today, CNA? Anyway. <laughs> Nowadays, you don't go looking for it, it comes looking for you. And it does for us too, not just the young guys, all of us. And ladies too. I've heard about some ladies struggling in this area too. So this is not a man thing. It's a flesh thing. We all have flesh. 
So we just say, oh, I can't do that. And we got this generation. Friends, we need to introduce them to our friend called the Holy Spirit. And allow the Holy Spirit to carry them through these things and to help them and to convict them and to take that out of them rather than tell them, stop looking at it, don't do it. And then when you fail, you bad person. No, no, friends, somehow we need the role of the Holy Spirit in some other stuff again. The cleansing fire. Not Casper, the friendly ghost. The fire of God to burn and bring purity back to his people. Are you okay? Okay, that we talk about that? And what I've also realized is that if we don't have the presence of God or the power of God, we actually, or we, we, we're principle driven. We can offload the latest scripture to anyone who's struggling in anything. I can sit there and say, oh, you know, we, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the dominion of darkness. He broke that and he's brought us into the kingdom. So not only have you forgiven us, and he's broken the power of sin. We can tell people that. We can give them principles from Scripture. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, all we're doing is principle giving people to tag on and to add to what they're already carrying. And I'm not saying counsel's wrong, and I'm not saying biblical, but somewhere we as leaders, when we come to moments like this, we get Scripture. I think there are so many broken leaders in the church today. And I know people think it's healthy. It's not healthy to have broken leaders leading Broken people. We need whole people leading whole people to health. Not perfect, but whole. God doesn't want to break your legs so you scramble into heaven on your four knees and that's just you wrong. Wrong thing. Love your heart, wrong theology. He wants to bring wholeness and well-being and he, and he wants to bring maturity and get us to grow up. And yes, we might have to go through some tests and lessons, but we don't have to break our followers' legs and all the stuff we've been taught. We need wholeness in the pulpit, wholeness in the church. And he is not, not, not one day when we get to heaven, here on earth. And the reason I think we sing so much brokenness is because we're principle-driven and a principle doesn't heal us. But the Holy Spirit will take God's truth and make it our truth. And when God's truth moves from a principle to something that's real in my life, that's when the healing of God takes place in my ministry. And I think we listen to scriptures, listen to preachers, listen, but we don't get on our knees and say, Holy Spirit, take what God has said to me today and move it from here and make it real here. Imagine if three or four sessions like that, we would find wholeness rather than running with the next thing to the next thing with the whole of the head knowledge. Make room for the Holy Spirit to be in healing and wholeness rather than being principles and truths that we run with. And I've been guilty of that too. Another thing he does, Spiritful Church, has his passion. Not passion, his passion. It's abnormal for believers not to have an appetite for the supernatural. We've kind of made it out like, if you've got a heart for the supernatural, you're weird. I want to just tell you, if you don't, you're weird. Because it's abnormal for us not to have that. He put it in us. And one of these guys, I think it was Toza, one of them, said, if Christians are forbidden to drink this, the wine of the Spirit, 
then they will very quickly turn to the wine of the flesh. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will make Jesus increasingly real to us. He'll release power and boldness for witnessing, Acts 1.8. Bring revelation. He opens up the Bible and makes the Bible real to us. You know, we can read the Bible as a book, even though it's the Word of God. But it's the Holy Spirit who takes the Bible and, and reveals it to us. The will of God, the Word of God. He plays a major role in that. Now, the Bible is the only book whose author is always present when you read it. The Holy Spirit makes our prayers effective. Romans 8.26. Leonard Ravenhill said the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of power helps our infirmities in prayer. The Holy Spirit as the Spirit of life ends our deadness in prayer. The Holy Spirit as the Spirit of wisdom delivers us from ignorance in this holy art of prayer. And he said the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of fire delivers us from the coldness in prayer. Then he said, and the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of might comes to aid us in our weakness as we pray. The Holy Spirit plays a major role in our prayer life, friends. The Holy Spirit helps us make right decisions. <laughs> Romans 8.14, the Holy Spirit sets us free in praise and worship. 2 Corinthians 3.17, the Holy Spirit releases a new prayer and praise language. The Holy Spirit will fill us with God's love and joy. Romans 5.5, Acts 13.52. And the Holy Spirit will equip us with spiritual gifts to get the job done. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot function in what God has for us. What else does the Holy Spirit bring? His persuasion, His convincing. Friends, His convicting. Think about that. There's probably a word lacking in the church today, conviction. Imagine conviction. You know who brings conviction? The Holy Spirit. Jesus' greatest teacher on the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, and 60. And Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. He will take the things that I've said and he will make them known to you. Who will do that? The Holy Spirit. If we want conviction, if we want our people to carry conviction, to be persuaded regardless of what comes our way, regardless of the crises, regardless of what people are saying out there, if we want people to be convinced, it's the Holy Spirit who persuades and convinces people. If we're going to carry true conviction through seasons and times like this, it's not going to be some truth we hold on to. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit to convince us to do what it is He's called us to do. And we need the Holy Spirit persuading and convicting us as we go forward into what He wants for us. Spiritful church has His peace. His peace. Not peace. His peace. Now just listen and look for the last few years across the country and across the world at the church. It would seem we're lacking in peace. We're going at each other. Peace with God, the Holy Spirit brings. Peace with God. Peace with each other. Peace with the world. We're not called to fight the world. We're not at war with the world. 
And it's the Holy Spirit who brings peace with me and God. When I have peace with God, I can find peace with someone else. It's amazing how we try and sort this out before we sort this out. When I've got marriage problems, it's usually because Nicole's disagreeing with me again. And so I don't have to sort this out. I realize I need to sort this out. Always, first, there's a problem here. In order, and we're trying to address it here. We try and reach out to the world that, until we come back here. But the Holy Spirit helps me to be at peace with God, which will bring peace to each other, which give us peace with the world. We're not of the world, but we're still in it, and we're not at war with them. You want to have peace with the world? Let the Holy Spirit bring peace. He plays a major role. Unity among believers is a key theme throughout the New Testament. It's clearly identified as being a work of the Holy Spirit. Believers have a common enemy and it's not each other. And we need to come together and allow the governance, the leading, the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So, I've got like nine minutes to eat. And I'm on three of 18. This is brilliant. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not meant to share these things this year. Can I, can I, we've got to land with this. Can I just say some things about the Holy Spirit as we land? Just some things to remember about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is holy. He's holy. And I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is grieved when we don't believe God's word, the Holy Spirit is grieved. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we resist His leading. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we refuse to change. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we do not put His will above ours. I mean, when we, put, when we do not put His will above ours, He's grieved. The Holy Spirit is grieved when He's not welcome in our lives or in our meetings. He doesn't have to be invited, but He needs to be welcome. Just challenge us again this morning, friends. You can't publicly celebrate what you privately tolerate. In other words, I'll tolerate the Spirit stuff in my private room so I can celebrate it publicly. He's not going to play that game. He's grieved. It's a public as a result of a private. Holy Spirit, I believe, is grieved when we are embarrassed of Him or by Him. Hard to believe we can be embarrassed by him, but just think about how we control certain meetings because we've got people looking in. We've got visitors, so the spirit stuff needs to just be ceased today. We'll pick that up when they're not here. Have you had that happen? I'm telling you, friends, I've invited friends, and then suddenly, like, the spirit starts to, and I'm thinking, oh my word, this is not, this is the, but actually, he knows exactly what he's doing. He can do things better than us. He knows what they need. And while it might freak us out, it doesn't seem to freak them out. It attracts them to him because that's what the Spirit gets to do. Don't be embarrassed of the Holy Spirit. 
He is grieved when we criticize his servants and speak evil of them. Hear that, pastors. Somehow, because of our calling, we get to speak bad about other people to help our people stay free. The Holy Spirit is grieved when we criticize and speak badly about other leaders and other people and other churches. He's grieved. Another point about the Holy Spirit, He's God. He is God. We do not boss Him around. I know we know that, but I listen to people. Do this, Holy Spirit. Do that, Holy Spirit. And our hearts, I'm sure, are good, but do you realize what you're telling and who you're telling what to do? I don't believe we tell the Holy Spirit to do anything. He tells us what to do. He is God. We do not boss Him around. He uses me. I don't use Him. I need to learn from Him. He doesn't need to learn from me. He is not a theory course where all of our thoughts of Him do not make up our lack of Him. In other words, we do series on the Holy Spirit and we make room and we talk about it, but we think, now that's going to cover it. There's a reason to all that. He is the reason. All our talk of Him should never make up our lack of Him. Let's make room for Him. He is the point of our teaching about Him. Instruction is useless without Him. And when His presence comes, it's going to look like something. He doesn't come to divide, but he might, and it's not his fault. He cannot preach a powerful message and live a conservative life. And lastly, we do not need the Holy Spirit to come again. 